0: most business problems are personal problems in disguise and at the same time i know that within us we have this amazing potential wanting to be unlocked Mm -hmm. wanting to be released Mm -hmm. as human beings we have this huge amount of potential within ourselves so if the people are the problem but we have so much potential inside us. How can we unlock that potential to solve right. the problems? The
1: possibilities, the zone.
0: I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at Mindset.Zone. And if you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to Mindset.Zone forward slash book. This episode is an interview originally recorded for the podcast Work From the Inside Out, where the amazing Tammy guler Loeb interviewed me about my journey from moving to the U.S. to my passion for human potential. Here is our conversation. Hey, everybody. I am so
1: delighted to introduce my guest today, Dr. Anna Malikian. Anna is the host of the Mindset Zone podcast and a sought-after keynote speaker. Anna has a PhD in psychology and more than 20 years of experience working in human potential. Her keynote, The Happiness Fallacy, re-envisions and revitalizes how we think about and work with happiness for personal and collective good. I can sign on for that, definitely. Please join me in welcoming Anna Malikian. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to have you here, Anna. So as you know, on Work From the Inside Out, we love to begin at the beginning, talking about your formative years and how some of those years may have led to where you are today. So take us back to those early years and where you started. How far do you want me to go? (laughs) <laughs> well I I know that we you know we we always talk a little bit before we we turn on record and I know that you
0: started out in a little village I think you said right yes yes I I was born in, in a city but when I was about six we moved to the countryside to a small village where my father had born so we there was still the house and the room where you was physically born in that wow. room. So, and everybody knew everybody else. So a, a typical, I know that I'm originally from Portugal. We are not a Mediterranean country, but the culture is very Mediterranean in many ways. Yes. So you can think about an Italian village and put it in Portugal in many ways. is a small, beautiful place to grow up. And since I can remember, I was a very curious kid. And again, most kids are, by nature, curious and asking why, why. I yeah. think the main thing is that I didn't stop asking why. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept inquiring and trying to make sense of everything around me, mainly this, the human puzzle, people mm. were the more interesting puzzle for me. I found other things interesting that I was trying like to solve the puzzle but the humans were like the biggest challenge. Mm. And since I can remember, and I'm speaking early teens, we always had a drive for anything that was personal development. Mm. Even like 95% of the Portuguese population I was raised as a Christian Catholic Mm. there and uh, sometimes the groups associated with the the local church they will organize some kind of personal development stuff Mm. i will sign up for that and even then when i start to be able to do things that were a little bit more organized by other institutions that i learn of i will sign up i always have that drive of trying to understand me personally Mm. and Mm. make sense of uh, my growing up process and uh, trying to understand the people around me. Yeah. So that was really a thread since I can remember that desire of understanding and problem solving being human beings, <laughs> a more challenging puzzle.
1: Now, were you more interested in who you were in relationship to others? Or were you also just as fascinated
0: by what made other people tick? Both things. Yeah. I think initially was understanding myself. Yeah. And making sense of was my feelings, making sense of my surroundings. And I think we we have, we filter by our own perception. So sure. we are there. Uh, but I realized that the system where we are in really makes a difference in the way that we see it. And probably mm-hmm. I had more clear awareness about that mm-hmm. already in my um, my late teens early adulthood mm-hmm. when i start to travel to other countries ah, mm-hmm. because i think when we are born and raised in one place mm-hmm. the cultural loads of the system regulations absolutely are there but it's like if we since we are kids we are wearing glasses we don't see the frames ah we we are not aware that we are wearing glasses we are seeing the world through the glasses that's right but we are not conscious of the frame when uh, we travel and go even and i travel in europe so i went i went to study to the one year exchange student in england so still still europe still Mm -hmm. a lot of the same values and the same way of being but there was things that were totally different from practicalities like I arrived there as a student. Oh, the student the restaurant closed at 5 or 5.30. Wow. That is early for our yeah. Portuguese <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was like what? And the, 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 from that small things to understanding that the way even the social interaction when you meet somebody in Portugal is very like i said before Mediterranean we give two kisses we right. hug even a person that is we just meet for the first time right right in england there is a more of a distance so you start to be become more aware of those things and interesting enough when i went back i i think i spent three months and then i came back during the holidays in the winter and I arrive home to my family in Portugal and suddenly I realized that we spoke very loud. It's like, why are we shouting here? <laughs> I didn't Odyssey say until then that our I didn't realize I had to go out of that bubble and come back to it to have that perception. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So I now think, when you were yeah. there, what mm-hmm. was that
1: that year that you spent in England? Was that in in high school or or during
0: college? college? Oh, college in your college years, years. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so I that. start to travel. I I did some very travel within the country, still mm-hmm. in high school, and again there is difference from different regions that you try to start to capture. Uh, but the, I really, the travel bug was always in me, uh-huh. but I really start to express itself in when I was in college. I went that year as an exchange student and I decided to stay one year more. Then I did my master's in Spain. Then ah. I came back uh, to I live in Spain for four years. I went back to Portugal, work for a couple of years, and then I came here to the United States. And meanwhile, I was traveling to presenting, I was in academia. So one of the ways of traveling in academia is presenting papers and communications in conferences and congresses. So I was doing a lot of travel, mainly in Europe and here in the US that way. And in one of the conferences, I came here to Phoenix and I met the person that a couple of years later became my husband.
1: Uh Aha. So that's what brought you to the U.S. was a conference and then you met you met Uh, the person, huh? Yes. (laughs) I see. Well, that explains that. So I'm curious. I know I know that you in in college, you studied psychology.
0: Is that right? Correct. And that is an interesting thing, because uh, the Portuguese uh, university system is very different than the one here in the U.S. So you have to pick the major when you apply to ah, Yeah. So you have to de- declare what is the major that you want and you pick the institution a lot basing on that. And I still remember, and this is like a national thing that you apply all un- uh, universities in the system. And I still remember my first two choices was psychology in Coimbra, that is a university town uh, close to where my parents live. Then Psychology, Oporto, that is a, the second biggest city yes. in the north of the country. Mm-hmm. And then electronic and telecommunications in another city there. Oh. So nothing to do with psychology because I was also very good at math. And the systems in terms of, uh, and the computers were starting and all of that was also something that fascinated me. Ah, So I was like, a little, okay, if I don't get in the two first ones, okay, I will, it means that the universe is saying me that I should do something totally different. So, but I got in my first choice. And, uh, but, but it's interesting how in our career things come back because I always, the being good with technology, was a strength that always served me very well. While I was studying psychology, I did some part time jobs that were more technical oriented and gave me that extra little money from building websites in the end of the 1990s. And even when I started in the online world here in the United States in 2010, having that strength of I could learn easily Things online and systems all, and now the all mm. the software as service work allow me to gain some success and traction quicker because that was e- easier for me than many other colleagues. Wow, technology is not something that they feel oh my energize about.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I can imagine that really served you well. So you have to declare your major when
0: you apply, is it still a four year program? At the time was a five year program. And uh, now since uh, I finished my studies there, things change a lot. There is the Bologna agreement in, uh, to keep everything in Europe more or less, you the same kind of rules. So now it's three years program, the bachelor, and then people will go if they want to do a master, two more years. But at the time that I did my studies, there was a five-year program. And out of that five years, you spent one Uh, or more or two years? in Two years. Uh, Initially, it was to be one year, but then I extend my stay there for two years. And I I double major. I uh, finished the degree by the English University and by the Portuguese. So I did a double uh, major in both places. Because in England was a three years program, so I, I managed to fulfill all the credits in both institutions to have the degree in both, both institutions.
1: Wow. So you studied psychology also in
0: England? Yes. Well, in, psychology. in English then, of yes, course, right? Yes. And then from there, I went to Spain to do a master program in psychotherapy. Ah. That were two more years there in Salamanca, that is a beautiful university town in Spain. And there was systemic therapy, so Mm -hmm. all about systems, the family therapy. So, a lot that was another enriching experience in so many levels, another culture, another way, another language. And even in terms of the systemic therapy and systemic way of seeing the world, yes, uh, brings our awareness of how complex the systems where we live are. Uh, They influence who we are as individuals, because traditional psychology, let's be honest, is very individualistic in the way that presents itself. And having that complement of the systems, I think is really helpful.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I studied psychology as an undergrad and did study some of the systems theory as well. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about and some of the distinctions between that and some of the other theories that were came before that.
0: And I bet that you find that extremely helpful working with organizations. You work with people on yes. organizations, but yes. they are in specific complex systems Uh yes and having that flexibility of moving of what is going inside you that influence what is going is like work from the inside out that inside work is so important i'm not denying that for a moment and at the same time taking in consideration that that work inside is then within a context, within a system. That's right. There are certain forces that we have to be aware of. That's
1: right. That's right. At least it's helpful if we're aware of those things. Yes. (laughs) Um, Sometimes those things are moving around so fast, it's hard to keep track of it all. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And especially in the last few years, the systems have changed so much and dissipated in so many ways. I think people are still trying to find their way through what is the system now i'm hearing a lot of that
0: yeah and the, i i think here the culture of different countries is a great metaphor or analogy here because when you go from one country to the other you have to learn the nuances and the rules the social regulations that have a different flavor even mm-hmm. and i uh, Like I was speaking in Europe is still Occidental Europe, very similar kind of base ground. But then there are different flavors and we have to learn very quickly the playbook, the rules of the game. I think the challenge nowadays in organizations, I think they are feeling it. Is that there is a change in the demands in the culture, but there is not really a playbook. We are writing. There's no the, playbook. The, the book of rules and regulations is being written as we go along. It's like <laughs> so makes it much more trickier because one thing that ten years ago was what is the big deal, right? Now it's a big deal. It's and a big deal for leaders. It is difficult for them to understand is that. I went over all this. I had to swallow this and that. I had to go and w- w- because the rules of it's like we are not. It's not Kansas anymore, Dorothy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. It's
1: it's like you know when we talk about the playbook. I I, I like to think about like a a sports coach who's who's got the whiteboard right in their hand and they've got the dry erase marker and they keep rewriting the plays right in the middle of the game. And I I think that's partly what today's leaders need to be doing is really rewriting the game as they go along in some ways, because I don't think we we really know
0: what things are going to look like even in six months. Absolutely. I love that image of the game because you have to have a strategy. In a game in a professional game, they, and everybody has to know what the strategy is, but you totally have to be flexible mm. to adapt the strategy to the situation in hand because everything depends on how the other the weather how the other team plays, yeah. uh, all uh, that complexity of situation and you absolutely have to be resilient. And when things are going bad, 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 you have to do the mental game to be, uh, to bring yourself back. Otherwise, they will keep going bad, bad, bad. We see this in sports so much. They lose the game because they don't have their mental, they are not in the right place at that level. And at the same time, I think this even brings more the importance of being clear about our values Mm. and about Mm -hmm. the inside work that you speak about uh, a lot. Because when things are uncertain, when we have to adapt so fast, if we are not clear about our internal compass. That's right is so easy to get totally lost.
1: Yes, it is. And and I think you you named it. I, you know, it's interesting when I think about the direction your career took. You know, if one was to look at your career almost on paper, right? It looks like you just took this sort of nice straight line, you know, from psychology, psychotherapy and and you got your your phd and then you went into coaching and and it looks so smooth and linear and yet there's a lot of different twists and turns that you took along the way i know that and and it's not that you really you know went way 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 out somewhere else but when someone takes a closer look at that trajectory of of how you made decisions about where you went and, and when and how that happened, it really does start to, you know, you made some very intentional decisions and moves.
0: And at the same time was a very bumpy road. It's what what is that expression vision is 2020 hindsight. That's right. Well, yeah, When we look back, it's easier to connect the dots yes. and to see the through line. But when right. we are leaving the situation, and the door closes in, in front of our nose is, oh, what do I know now? Yeah. And I had several, I remember several situations in my own professional career that I felt that, that door in the nose sure. is not a pleasant feeling.
1: <laughs> I am curious, maybe even a little jealous <laughs> of your ability to function and learn in different languages. And to go from your undergraduate education in both Portuguese and English, and then you went and got your master's in Spain. So, and I think people don't always understand that Portuguese and Spanish are not that similar at all. (laughs) And so it's not just because Spain and Portugal are next to each other doesn't mean that their languages are that similar. They're really not at all, at least from, I've listened to both of them and they're, they're quite distinct. So I'm curious about your decision to go get your master's degree in, in Salamanca. And if that was a very intentional decision on your part or whether there was a specific
0: program there, how did that come about? It was a specific program that attracted me there. But, but the thing is that I, I was very good in in high school. I was very good in sciences, not very mm. good in languages. Oh, language? Really? Were, oh, absolutely. That was always my struggle. I always have the A's in science subjects and not so much in language, even in my own language, Portuguese, because I have dyslexia. So oh. language was always a very challenging. Uh, for me in some aspects of it but I decided okay we learn French and we learn English and I decided okay English is where most things are now happening so I'm going to focus on English I did some things outside the school system to learn better English and my decision of going to study that here as an exchange student in england was a lot about uh, my plan was coming back to portugal with a very good english uh-huh. right? and, uh, okay and it's like you throw myself in the pool <laughs> and i will learn how to swim and, i love it and a little bit because obviously i knew gosh the portuguese history of the of the 20th century we have so much immigration that went to France that went to, to the United States, mainly in the New Jersey area and Newark area. And these are people that some of them in the 50s and the 60s, they barely had the, the basic Portuguese education. They say they, they emigrate by need of finding a way of sustaining themselves and their families. And they learn the language. They succeed in big ways here in the United States and another country. So it's like... We have that capacity. Yes, I will never lose my accent, but I can communicate, I think, rather well in Absolutely. English language.
1: <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful
0: thing. I love the way yeah. you communicate. That is that thing that we have to learn. And the question, why did I finish it went to Spain again was, I didn't, yes, my strength. And this is important in terms of companies and evolution in career. Mm. Because I was aware that language was not a strength. I had my brother was much better at language than myself. I had friends that were much better in capturing language and succeeding in the different language than myself. But if I want, if I was determined to get something, I think I have the innate growth mindset. I think I can learn this. Not that it's going to be easy, but this can be learned. Mm -hmm. And when uh, I was looking for master programs, I look a a very good one in Ireland, in the north of Ireland, and then this one in Salamanca, Spain. And I really liked the program uh, in Spain and what they were doing there. And my my mindset was all about I can learn that. So it's not comes naturally, but I can learn it so that I knew that was not my strength. But if I want something, I was going to get it. And that is why I was not, I decided to go to Spain to learn the Spanish that I need to succeed. Yes, we have to play with our strengths without any doubt. We only can be the top of the top a lot by by playing with our strengths. But we cannot also let our weakness between commas here to stop us from doing things. We can and learn enough to to do things happen.
1: So that's interesting. So your motivation for going to school in Spain was to go to this specific program. And so you said, I don't care that languages are not my strength. I will learn Spanish so I can do this
0: program. Correct. Kudos to you. And again, you throw yourself in the pool, and you will. Uh, but you have some some obviously, you are not throwing yourself in the ocean in the middle of a storm. You no. You can create right. <laughs> create the conditions to be safe, but you have to put yourself into the action mode. Otherwise, you really are stopping yourself if you only in your career or life you're only going to try something that there are high probabilities of success sure you live you a lot in the table we have to learn and the process of learning and changing is a messy learning is messy yes uh, our career you're seeing about yes when we look backwards it seems very we see the true line we connect all the dots right uh, but it's It's bumpy. When we are living it in the moment is a bumpy journey.
1: Yeah. And I want to unpack that just a little bit more because I'm very curious. And as I said, a little jealous because I took high school Spanish, did very well in it, and then never really did anything more. And a lot of us here in the U.S. have not really mastered another language. I mean, I know some people who have, but a lot of people haven't, and I, I'm always impressed with my friends and colleagues who grew up in other countries, many of whom speak more than one language. And I'm I admire that. I I'm curious. So when you decided to go to this program in Spain, did you spend
0: some time studying Spanish before you started school there? What was that timeline like for you? I went about two months before the program start and To be saying, I knew that the director of the program spoke very good English, I did the application. I had some help with it for doing the application uh, to be in Spanish, but I said that since Spanish are totally different languages, but they come from the same root. Both come from the Latin, both are Roman languages. So in terms of vocabulary we have a big advantage because a lot of the vocabulary comes from the same root so it's easier to understand but i still remember the first time when i moved to spain i was listening to the news because the news they speak very fast spanish Uh people can speak very fast and in the news is one of those places was like half an hour and i was I cannot understand a word of what. Uh, besides, buenas noches, uh, good evening, <laughs> the opening. I was like, oh, I'm done. I could not understand what they said besides the first two words. <laughs> but then on the day I went, uh, there was, uh, in Salamanca especially, there is a lot of places that we can do Spanish as a second language for foreigners. There's a lot, it's part of the industry. The way of doing it is going to the country where the language is spoken because you have to practice why Americans and English in general don't speak in more numbers, different languages there. We can go all over, mainly into touristic areas and everybody speaks English. So we don't need to develop that skill. I know, but I think it's a little short-sighted on our part, but that's just
1: my opinion. So you clearly... Did very well in Spain, or maybe I'm making that assumption, but you you got your master's there.
0: Did you also get your PhD there? Uh, the PhD was a joint, so I did it through the same English university that I went as an exchange student, Sunderland University in the north of England. Oh, okay. But, but I did it as the clinical work I did it in Spain. So I was a distance student from England, but the clinical work I did it in Spain. So it was a mixed program that was amazing to have oh, that Oh, how interesting.
1: So you did the PhD program through the school in England. But, but you the,
0: did the, your the, clinical the, work in Spain. Correct. The main supervisor of my thesis, uh, the dissertation was in England, in Sunderland. His name was Peter Hawkins a different Peter Hawkins, we oh, you know, in, coaching, in right, the coaching, right, world. right. And but also another amazing, extraordinary human being that I was very lucky to have a supervisor. And I had a local supervisor that was the director of the master program that I have done in Spain for the uh-huh. clinical part of the work. And they were they collaborate in many different projects. So that was easy to do. And the university in England was okay with it. So we did it that way.
1: Yeah. And what was your area of
0: specialty in terms of your, your studies, your doctoral studies? So psychotherapy and my dissertation was about brief therapies for the management of primary headaches. But our physical pain and how through certain models of psychotherapy we could help people manage that situation, that ah. physical situation it has to do with the body and mind that sure. is not always find it very fascinating to bridge that to different dimensions in many ways.
1: So once you completed your, your doctoral work, what was your
0: what was your next step? So finishing the PhD is also an, a great example of the, the messiness of change because ah. I was I finished my master, and then I start working the same master program, where I was doing the part of the clinical work. So I was doing the PhD while working in the master program, oh. and uh, then a couple of, and I stayed there two years, and I did all the clinical work during that time. And then I got a great job opportunity in a private university in Portugal, in the north of Portugal, oh. that I accepted, and uh, I I went back to Portugal, my country of origin. To, to that position in a private university, teaching in a psychology, several I was part of their faculty there while I was doing the PhD and then the PhDs there start to go very, very, very slow because I was busy with my work uh, but eventually, i managed to finish the dissertation i almost was they called the abcs all but dissertation right AB, abds i think it's like that that is the term right but, uh, after a lot of persistence because i always tell people with the P- phds if you have somebody with a phd degree post-graduation don't presume that the person is very intelligent <laughs> presume <laughs> that the person is very persistent. Ah, I love that. <laughs> okay, if there is something that we can presume of most PhDs, you have a persistent person because you really have to have the grit to keep going there. It's so yeah. easy just to let it go. So, uh, but I'm very thankful that I kept my persistence. And I managed to write the dissertation, defend the dissertation, get the certification. And was at the, during that time, um, when I, de- in fact, when I defend the dissertation, I was already living here in the United States because was a, there was some time span and it's like messy. It was messy, but I went to England, I defended and uh, everything was okay. Then I had the the, the PhD and uh, I was already living here in the United States, and there was when one of the big doors in terms of career progression um, yes. closed on my nose because <laughs> I thought that having a PhD by English university here in the United States would be easier to get my license as a psychologist oh. and was not. Uh, Because the system, the American Psychological Association that I'm part of, but for the license as a psychologist, you have to do a postdoc to have the license as a psychologist, as a clinical psychologist. And honestly, I just had finished my PhD. I love study. I love learning. I love the academia. But the thought of almost have to redo my PhD And then a postdoc immediately afterwards was just too much. It's like you finish running the marathon and then you finish like you cross the the finish line and they say, oh, I need a marathon to run. Right. Okay, I need a rest. I'm not ready for that. Right. Right. But that was a big career challenge because I had done all my previous studies in psychology. I did all my training and I was already, I I worked several years as a psychotherapist. Right. So my life and my future, I was teaching in college, but I had my my psychotherapy office. I was very involved in organizations like the Milton Erickson Foundation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had even started an institute in Portugal, the Milton Erickson Institute in Portugal. I was the first one founding there. Uh, so I was extremely involved uh, and loving all the, that work, and then suddenly, uh, now by personal reasons, I came to the United States. I got married, right. and I call the my professional path was this big disruption. Yeah, and uh, that was a big a moment there that I was really confused and not know where to go. And uh, I'm very thankful and grateful that was during that confusion and during that uncertainty and chaos that i learned about coaching Mm -hmm. i stumbled into coaching for initially for myself to make sense of again make sense make sense okay what is happening to me what can i do How can okay this is a challenge what what are my options and i found life coaching and it helped me to clarify my own goals my own values mm-hmm. and see what was really central for me and then suddenly was like the the dots connect again yeah i i realized oh coaching life coaching this is personal development mm-hmm. this is personal development and i had been in a school in psychotherapy that was all about the therapist do loads of personal development because we are the tool that helps the client so I have a lot of training in personal development. My passion for as long as I can remember is personal development. So yeah. this is just another way of doing that that I love. Yeah. Then it's when I decide to become a coach. Aha.
1: Uh-huh. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. And so since you became a coach, you've taken your work in into also into the business world as well.
0: <laughs> Another the tour that at the time was messy and now I'm so glad that it happened because I decided to become a life coach I took the training to become a life coach I got the certification as a life coach I was oh love this love the process love the coaching training and then oh, oh where are the clients uh-huh. <laughs> because in Portugal I didn't have that problem to get clients how do you say I well I had an expertise in a very specific area uh, i was teaching in a private institution so i had the credibility there people were seeking me out i never yeah. needed to do any advertisement people right. i just had to print business cards with the place where I opened the office, nothing else. And I was at a full part time practice. So, and uh, when I left uh, three days a week, that I, so I was totally booked there. So, I was totally unprepared to be a needle in a haystack here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, another challenge. Yeah. Again, uh, OK, if I want to do the and I was seeing other people succeeding, other coaches um, um, doing a nice online business. I was wanting to have a home based business because we are starting our family and my daughter was born. So I start to look around. OK, how can I learn this? I'm very thankful that I think in many areas of my life, I always had a growth mindset, mm-hmm. always believe that I could learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I start to look around and in my quest to find solutions, I found the book Yourself Solid System uh-huh. uh, that uh, was uh, created by Michael Port. Right, nice. And uh, I got the book. I fall in love with the book. Then making a long story short, I start to train with him and then became one of the certified coaches, an elite coach, and then the director of education for the book, Yourself Solid. So it was uh, something that was not planned ahead uh, Mm. because I was doing life coaching. Right. Then I need to learn business coaching and I start to be good at it and enjoy that and enjoy helping others. And I decide to become a business coach and now I'm bringing all that, all the experience of being more than 10 years succeeding in the online world, back to bring to my roots of psychology and positive psychology. Even what I'm speaking now is the happiness fallacy. It's yes. all about how can we use what we know of positive psychology, behavior, cognitive psychology, neurosciences, uh, performance sciences to tap into our potential and i have the tools of the business uh, perspective that allows me to succeed so yeah. if everything comes together in a beautiful way but was not planned that way
1: no but, now but it, it makes sense it, it really does make sense it it and i know and i also understand very clearly why your podcast is called the mindset, the mindset. zone <laughs> it makes perfect sense and and your keynote the happiness fallacy also makes sense it's almost like it encompasses your roots in psychology and then all the things that you've
0: built absolutely up and till this now the, and these at the core again the inside work at the core my why is all about expanding potential was yeah. always and I think always is going to be when I was teaching in college uh, yes. Was helping expand the possibilities of the students and the way that they will see the world. Uh, when I was working with my patients in clinical work was all about expanding their possibilities of having a more expensive life and leave some of anxiety and depression behind them. Yes. Uh, when in coaching is all about expanding the possibilities for our clients. In uh, my mindset zone is all about expanding possibilities for ourselves, the ones surrounding Around right. us and for the world, so that was always there. And part of that expanding possibilities of my why, there is the belief that of the human nature. Because th- there is a quote also for from Michael Port that I absolutely love. That is, most business problems are personal problems in disguise. I love it, and I think this is true for solo business one person business like coaches and consultants out there sometimes they are not succeeding to their potential because of their own gremlins their own mindset limitations but in organizations most if we speak with leaders in organizations they if we peel the onion "Eh, it's a people problem i don't know what to do with them that's true Uh, very true most business problems are personal problems in disguise And at the same time, I have even a stronger belief, if that is the reality, there is the practical reality of it. But at the same time, I know that within us, we have this amazing potential wanting to be unlocked, Mm -hmm. wanting to be released. Mm -hmm. As human beings, we have this huge amount of potential within ourselves. So if the people are the problem, but we have so much potential inside us. How can we unlock that potential to solve right. the problems? So, and that is what I'm doing today is like, yes, there are inward work, like yes. you speak in your book, work from the inside out. Absolutely, we have to do personal development work. Uh, we, uh, we can learn so much of high performance. We can uh, learn so much from uh, social sciences and uh, psychology to really be better and understand ourselves better right. and better ourselves. And just doing that work, the teamwork can improve exponentially because we are not projecting our things in other people and we understand better the things that are going on. So there is that inward work that I love to do with positive psychology and personal development. And human beings unlock that internal potential is amazing in itself. But if we think that human beings are not just individuals, we are these connecting beings, we bring another dimension in that is a more an outward work because it's the connections, right. it's the community, is the teams is the the networks in business the networks i love to work with my clients coaches and consultants that work with me on the networks professional networks that we have for business development and that is so i don't know any successful business person that doesn't have a network and everything has to do with that tapping into the potential of organization of the different people connecting in that organization and my big thing is that that inward work and then outward work of the connection, the connecting being. So the human being inner, the connecting being outer, is not you don't add one with the other. You really right. can multiply. You can amplify if you consider that two and work on those two dimensions, you can amplify the multiplication of the effect and of the human potential that you unleash Mm. and if you take the inward dimension the outward dimension of the connecting and you understand the systems where this is happening Mm -hmm. you really can unlock human potential to the n degree in an exponential way and that is what I love to do to work with organizations and leaders in organizations to see that how can they be that that catalyzer that can unleash this potential.
1: Wow. I I just love the way that all comes together and it makes sense. And your own story is really a living example of what you're talking about. You want know, to think about each step of the way that you took your career and your own growth and then expanded your own potential really is, it, it's like you, you put yourself through your own living laboratory in some ways. And as you said, you know, growth, change, it's messy, but I love where it's landed you now, for sure. I'm going to close out with one quick little question. So as you know, we're trying to talk here about the transitions and the moves and the changes we make in our careers. If you had to give somebody one key piece of advice as they're thinking about what's next for them, what would that
0: be? Borrowing from your book, Work. From the inside out, allow yourself to take time, trust your gut, and follow your why. Mm, I love it. Of course I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're following your why. So thank you so much for being here on Work From the Inside Out. And it was such a joy and such a pleasure. And I really encourage people to follow your work. I think there is so much to learn from your journey and from the ongoing work you're doing. Thank you so much for
0: being here. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation originally recorded for Tammy Guller-Lobes' podcast, Work from the Inside Out. Please follow our podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. The Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And... If you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone/for/book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.